few years ago, you probably would have found me at the bar all night long ripping shots with my friends. And then I would go home and probably cry until 3 a.m. Today, I practice yoga and I meditate every morning. And this change has really saved my life. Every word I share on this show comes from those days and those nights where I couldn't see five minutes in front of me. Everything was about how much I could do, how much I could accumulate, how good I could look. The Bright Side of the Moon is a show made to help you accept the dark with the light, the intense with the relatively easy, all while still feeling connected to your soul and living from this place. You no longer need to fear the dark because without it, you'll never be able to fully experience the light that lies within. I'm living proof of this. This show is a place for me to share about the things I've learned and the coping skills that have saved my life. I'm Paige Pitchlar, and this is The Bright Side of the Moon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Rachel Wooten. She is a diplomat Jungian analyst and author of Tara, The Liberating Power of the Female Buddha, which is a fantastic book that I picked up about two months ago, I want to say, and as a pretty big reader, writer, I always look through the descriptions and every kind of review that I can before I buy anything. But something about this book, I didn't look twice at anything else. I didn't read it. I just bought it. I clicked the little purchase now on Amazon. And it has been such a wonderful resource for me and for many of the people that I've referred it to. So I am so, so happy to have her here. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Paige. I'm glad to be here. So first of all, just in your own words, kind of just tell me about what you're working on and why Tara came through now, what the impetus for this book was, anything that you feel called to share about what you've worked on during this time working with Tara and bringing this book to life. Well, it's been a long road. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's been many years in the making. And I think what I would say, my path has really been what I would call an intra-faith path as well as an inter-faith path. I've been interested in religion. Go figure for whatever reason since I was really a little girl. So my interest has always been in finding these intersections in the deep places of spiritual paths. So for me, tracking on what I call the teachings of Jesus as opposed to Christianity and also mystical Judaism and indigenous traditions in particular, and then Tibetan Buddhism, there's some amazing overlap among these things, which I won't go into. But that, that inter-traditional path has been very rewarding. And I think right now, it's extremely important because we need to find all the points of intersection that we can find. So if I were to say, well, what am I working on right now? I'm really interested in trying to imagine how Tara, how Buddhist practice, how the particular prayers even that lead into these practices emphasize our interdependence, our mutual dependence on each other. They also emphasize, as do most traditions actually, the profound value of all life, not just human life, but all life. But I think right now we're in such incredibly stressful times both with the pretty terrible karmic history of the United States coming into full bore and the pandemic, of course, and the environmental crisis. It's just time that we find these points 
of intersection, how can we all work together for the good of everyone? So for me, Tara is a fantastic entry point into that question. She is really an outer representation of an inner reality, which is our own enlightened consciousness. And even though she appears, you know, in these various forms, which I talk about in the book, and we know her predominantly as Green Tara, she really represents this amazing energy of wisdom and compassion and space, just the vastness of space. She really represents an enlightened, divine, and you can say feminine figure that can contain everything. So I think right now that's what I'm really trying to focus on is how for myself in my own practice, but also how to be with other people, regardless of any way they describe themselves, in ways that help us get in touch with this vast, vast space that is just full of kindness and love and wisdom and compassion. So Tara is my gateway into that. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to share with people anytime I'm teaching or talking about it. Yeah. And you do such a good job in the book of explaining all this and obviously how your background has impacted it. And it's amazing. We were just talking about this before we kind of got into the podcast. We were talking about how Tara and this energy is not only so needed right now, but how it's coming through. She's coming through to help and how we're all kind of coming back together. But at first we kind of have to fall apart, unfortunately. So there's a reason that it's happening now. There's a reason that you're writing this now. And there's, there's a reason that so many people are so grateful for it, myself included. And I wanted to talk about something that struck me when I first bought the book, when I first started reading, but the subtitle is 22 Meditations to Heal Ourselves and Repair Our World. And, you know, this book came out in April earlier this year, and I'm sure you had no idea (laughs) that you're going to need this much repairing. Um, And it's something that I talk about a lot on this podcast, in my writing, just everything that I do is making sure that we're taking care of our energy first and making sure that we're feeling really compassionate towards ourselves, filled up with this goddess-like energy so we can reverberate that outward to all beings and the importance of that idea. So anything that you feel called to share about the subtitle, what that means, what it means right now, and where it came from for you. I'd love to do that. And and Paige, I just want to say that I'm really glad that you are focusing on that not just on this podcast, but on your other podcast, because, you know, Western civilization, somehow the idea of really disliking oneself, always being critical of oneself is almost, talk about a pandemic. It's a terrible feature of the consciousness of Western civilization, actually. So I'm really happy that you're focusing on the idea that we need to take care of ourselves and from that can radiate immense benefit to the rest of the world. So the subtitle, 22 Meditations to Heal Ourselves and Repair the World, really falls right in that category. And one thing that I found out actually just recently, so repair the world is a phrase that actually comes from Judaism. In Hebrew, it's tikkun olam. And that phrase comes from this 14th century cosmology that when God was creating the world. He created these beautiful jeweled vessels and he poured all this light into the vessels and the vessels couldn't hold the light and the vessels all shattered. And so all these different shards 
of these vessels fell, fell, fell down into the world that we live in now, and each one contained the spark of life. And so in Judaism, the idea is in this particular cosmology, which was later, that God created humans to redeem the world to release all these different sparks of, of light. So the idea is that any good deed you do, any practice you do, any act of kindness. And in the Jewish tradition, there's certain mitzvot or things that you're supposed to follow to be kind to others, et cetera, et cetera. Every time you do one of those, you release a spark of light. So that word, repair the world, really comes from that tradition and that phrase. And I love it because it really does say we humans have a role in doing this repair. And I think that's really important because it can be so overwhelming when you see, you know, this huge need and the need is everywhere and in all categories, it can feel overwhelming and what difference can I make, right? But every single thing we do, you know, whether it's just like today, I was in the post office and I I actually felt this, but I just said to the woman who was helping me at the desk, like, I just can't tell you how grateful I am that you're here. And I think that's a, a spark. You know, you can feel that connection. So everything we do actually now, everything we do matters. So going back to the idea of healing ourselves, I think it's really hard to feel like you have enough energy to do really good work in the world if you aren't taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And the thing I just found out literally two or three days ago, I've never seen this before, which really surprised me, is that another meaning of the word tikkun actually means to work on yourself. Wow, did I love that. <laughs> so, And so I think the idea of working on oneself, especially, I mean, I, I'm an analyst, right, and a longtime meditator, and I really do believe, especially when things get really difficult. It's just great to have both. It's good to have a therapist. It's good to have people who really are there to listen to you and help you figure out, especially a lot of that past stuff. And I think we also need spiritual practice. I think it's hard to really get the deep repair without both. And I think that was one of the things Jung thought too. If you didn't include the spiritual aspect of the person, you weren't going to get the whole person. So one of the things that I find in doing a meditation practice, especially if it's one that you love, that you feel really connected to, not that you're just doing it because you want to be a good person and meditate, but that you have a heart connection to the practice. And the Tara practice, I think, are really beautiful in that regard because you're visualizing this incredibly beautiful female being appearing in a subtle body of light. And she's got all this you know, she can seem maternal. She can just seem like a friend. She can seem like a sister. But that, that sort of feminine encompassing energy is right there. That when we do these practices and the mantra recitations, which help our nervous systems, we can actually really, really, really settle down into a space of stillness. So I think one of the reasons these types of practices are really good is that it feels like you have somebody there with you. You know, sometimes if you've had a lot of trauma or if things are extremely difficult, you know, just focusing on your breathing can be anxiety producing sometimes. It can also be wonderful. But so I think the idea that one 
enters into a spiritual practice with this deep intention, which is a very profound part of Tibetan Buddhism, the deep intention for healing, not just for yourself, but for all beings, also has a certain kind of energy in it that supports the practice. And it really does emphasize, I'm doing this for my own healing, and I'm also doing it so that if I'm healed, I can help other people, right? But I think the last thing I want to say, let you ask some more questions, is I think the thing that happens frequently with these sorts of practices is that when things get still, you can experience really a sensation of space. And so this contraction in the body that comes from fear or difficult emotions can relax. And there's a sense of spaciousness. And in that space can often come some kind of inspiration, some kind of thought about some problem you're having that you've never thought of before or or just a blessing or a sensation of love. But space, the feeling of space and spaciousness is really one of the fundamental, in fact, even it contains the practice and it is the practice and you can experience it in the practice. So I hope I answered your question. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> there's so <laughs> many things that are just, oh, every time you talk, there's so many things that I find fascinating. And one of the things that stood out to me is the idea of these meditations. So for people who are listening, the meditations involve, you know, imagining Tara, her 21 emanations, your teachers, the people who support you, all kind of bearing witness and receiving this healing from this enlightened being that is directly in contact with source, God, you know, universe, whatever you want to call it. And so then you place your worries on their feet, you place, you know, your offerings, and then you recite the mantras. And I've done a lot of Kundalini, I've done a lot of meditating, but something about this type of practice, just feeling the feminine and just this deep, deep connection to the world around me while just being an open space, like you said. And it's interesting because what you had said earlier, I was in therapy for years and until I, and it was, you know, it helped, but until I started doing these spiritual practices that were so healing for my body, my soul, everything, Mm -hmm. my life didn't really shift because I had to get in touch with that part of my soul and to get in touch with the part of me that understands that we're all connected and I'm part of something bigger and so is everybody else. And once I started to do that, I could take care of myself. I understood what that felt like. And then this insatiable desire to help everybody else feel that way kind of emerged from that. And so that's why these meditations and this work is so important. Like it is so healing and I can personally attest to it and how, how deeply you can feel the compassion, the support, the love when you do this type of practices, even picking up the book. It just emanates towards you. And that type of healing is, is what we need and is what our world needs. So, you know, if I hadn't said it before, but thank you again for sharing all that. And thank you for sharing this book about the meditations and how it is going to help us repair the world because that's inherently the idea behind it. Yeah, that's really true. And that's beautiful what you said, Paige. It just... Yeah, well said. That's exactly, that's exactly, you know, if I could say that's what I would hope for. You know, one of the things that's both tragic and miraculous is that we wouldn't have any of this if the Chinese had not invaded Tibet. 
because even even though the practices originate in India, you know, everything about Tara and all the tantras originate in India, but you know, then they started traveling all over the world to Asia and, and came into Tibet and it evolved into this particular form. It's very particular that has evolved in Tibet. And pretty much the only people who really had access to all of this knowledge and these ways of practicing were these men in the monasteries. So, you know, when the Chinese invaded Tibet and all these people had to flee for their lives, they brought all this with them. And now they're spread all over the world. That's how I met my teacher, who's wonderful, by the way, Ledra Rinpoche. So I think, you know, it's interesting Tibetan Buddhism, like a lot of Buddhism, like all religion, unfortunately, has a very patriarchal structure. And that has really been changing as it's come into the West. And my teacher's a good example of that, really empowering a lot of women like myself to do this teaching. So what I have felt for many years is both a sadness that Tara and all her stories and practices didn't really reach many women in Tibet in the old days. And at the same time, had it not been for these men in the monasteries preserving these practices and doing them literally for 1,600 years, we wouldn't have them. Or maybe it's 1,400 years. Anyway, <laughs> we wouldn't have them. So I just feel like it's, a, it's an immense debt of gratitude that these things, these practices in this book, you know, they date back to about the year about 1,100, but the... Background behind the practice is even older than that, which is astonishing that this ancient thread from this amazing feminine energy is coming through. It's never been destroyed. It's just mm-hmm. too strong. And now here it is in a form that, you know, that anybody can have it if they want it. Right. Oh, and it's so cool. It's so cool to even see it. It's so cool to be around it. And It's fascinating because throughout the book, you know, you talk a lot about just so many kind of touch points around femininity and it's not like overt, but it's so, so appreciated. And I've written a lot about this, but over the last 20 years, you know, we've had, or as we shift into this Aquarian age, the feminine is, is rising. And that's why I think, and so many spiritual teachers have actually spoken about this. You know, we talk about more flexible work schedules, which is a more feminine, fluid type of thing and technology keeping up to help us do that, you know, to have moms with their kids more or, you know, have us be able to leave work at 3.30 instead of 5. You know, having this more fluidity into our lives as we transition into this new awakened consciousness where polarities are equal. And it's fascinating that 2020 was the year that, you know, this book came out and all of these teachings, you know, you're reaching so many women with this book. I've referred it to like 10 women in my life and, and they all, (laughs) they all love it. And and I wrote, it's so funny because at the very beginning of this year, I I knew 2020 was going to be different. I knew things were going to change. I obviously didn't expect to this extent, but I knew that the feminine waking up, and I, I hate calling it waking up, but you know, reemerging from right, yeah, it is going to be huge, and it's happening on an individual level, and it's not just in women; it's in men too. It's within That's any true. gender, and it's so cool. And which really, I wanted to talk about this is the the mother, the divine feminine archetype that Tara represents. 
and what it means to the world now and has meant in the past, but more importantly, how it can help us heal. And I had, I think I spoke to you a little bit about this earlier, but I feel so strongly about the mother wound that we all have. And I know you, you know, we've spoken about this, but, and why she's coming up now and how this is going to affect the future and how, you know, women and just femininity in general is starting to just reopening, reemerging and creating this new world. And for that to happen, we have to get a little bit uncomfortable, obviously. <laughs> so I, yeah, just anything that you want to talk about or share about the, the mother, the divine feminine archetype behind these practices, behind Tara herself, and anything that you feel, you know, really kind of illuminates what she is here to help us do. Well, I want to say a couple of things that are about that and also about sort of on the ground, what I think has happened to women over mm-hmm. a couple of thousand, several thousand years. <laughs> but So the whole tantric practices emerged in India, started really 100, 200, 300, 400 like that in the common era and was really solidly on the ground from about 600 to 1200 and still, but that's when it was all developing in India. And it was Hindu Tantra, Buddhist Tantra. These were shamanic cultures. So a lot of what got integrated into these practices have deep shamanic roots. The the area of India, where all this was going on, and these people were just trading things back and forth. Nobody was competing. It was just like, wow, how did you do that? Well, let's do this, you know, between these different sorts of, of cultural ways of approaching divinity and energy. And it's happening in this place in southern India that was highly influenced by Samaria. And you can actually see that if you're interested in Inanna and the whole Sumerian pantheon of gods and goddesses, you can see some of this stuff, even in the praises of this Tara, the 21 Taras. So these practices are actually rooted, rooted deeply in goddess worship and shamanism and yoga. So that's an important thing to realize. It's just embedded in it. And then I think it's so interesting. There were never any images in Buddhism until Tantra evolved. And the first image was Prajnaparamita. You know, you can look her up. She's this lovely sort of subtle looking, almost demure looking female figure sitting in the lotus position with four arms and four different instruments in her hands. And what she really represents is this teaching on voidness or emptiness, which actually means interconnectedness. That's a whole a whole long thing to get into, but, and wisdom, you know, it really, even her name means wisdom. So it's profound that the first image that arises in Buddhism is a woman and that this female image is the representation of the profound wisdom of shunata or emptiness or interrelatedness, however you want to put it. So Tara, I think actually was the next one to come along. And Tara, you can see from her pictures, she's sitting there with, yes, one leg is on the lotus cushion, but the other one is forward that she's ready to come to your assistance the minute you call on her. So Tara is like wisdom in action. And I think that idea, you know, when you think about mothers, even when you think about 
bears and lions and, you know, mothers, when their children need help, they're going to come. And I think that right foot forward, that's what that represents in Tara. She's a karma deity. She's an action deity. And her, you know, really her claim to fame is that she comes when we call, especially to help us with our fears. So to me, this is so vast and so wide and so deep. I, I never want to forget that all of this is really resting in this idea, again, to use the word emptiness, which is not the best word, but in space, like the idea that space is so vast, it contains absolutely anything, and that anything can emerge out of space in any moment. Nothing can exist without space. So in that sense, like one friend of mine told me that shunyata, which is the Sanskrit word for emptiness, can be translated as pregnant void. So the idea that space, which sometimes for us can scare us to death, like being too still, being too silent, having too much space, we get all anxious about it. But you think about it like the mother, it's the mother, it's potential, and anything can come out of that potential. And one of the things we do in these practices is we invite Tara to appear out of that space. And so we call on this phenomenal potential of help and form and activity, and yet she's still that wisdom. It's the wisdom she represents, too, of everything is connected to everything else, and anything can happen at any moment. You're never stuck, right? So anyway, I think now the fact that we need to be quiet, we need to stop running around, we need to quit buying things, we need to be more spacious, (laughs) that's one thing. We certainly need to be deeply aware of how connected we are to everything. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing is this idea that there's help available and that, again, the ancients somehow from their psyche, what emerged was female image of help. And I think most of us are really going to connect that with the mother because the mother helps. That's really Mary's role in Christianity. She's the intercessor. People pray to her like crazy for help. People in Tibet pray to Tara like crazy for help. And they're not kidding. They're really praying to Tara and Mary for help, you know? So I think, I think there is a huge, huge, huge wound, really potentially all over the world, but especially in Western civilization, just the way women have been treated for thousands of years. You know, they couldn't hold any job. They couldn't have political office. They couldn't be a priest or a priestess or a rabbi or or a Buddhist ordained person. I mean, it's just women were not allowed to do much of anything except have children. And then I like to say Freud came along and gave us the idea that everything that ever went wrong with the child was the mother's fault. (laughs) So what I think has emerged from that, and as a Jungian, you know, I have really enjoyed studying fairy tales, which is old, 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 really pre-European old folk tales. And you see it again and again and again that the women have no position. And even in some of these tales, you know, little girls are treated horribly. Women are often the villains, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what has happened, what's come down through generation after generation after generation after generation, I certainly saw it in my own family. If my grandmother didn't think much of herself, although she was brilliant and talented, 
she was always criticizing my mother. That didn't really help my mother. You know, she was often subtly and not so subtly criticizing me. It's like the wound gets passed down from generation to generation, and that's been going on for thousands of years. So you can often see sometimes in that mother-daughter relationship, the mother even sabotages the daughter. can be a lot of envy and jealousy and all kinds of stuff. But it's really based in these long-standing generations of women never getting what they needed and never being treated well, sometimes being treated absolutely horribly. So I think, and I, I write about this in the book, I think that it's so important, a, a spiritual practice in which you can feel the feminine energy of love coming towards you. And actually, you can feel it also alive inside of you is a way to work on receiving something if you didn't get it. And it's also a way of giving something. So this is a place where I think the spiritual and the very human on the ground really overlap. I think Tara is a great point of intersection for that overlapping. And, you know, one of the things I wrote about, because I wrote quite a bit about my mother, and it's one of the things I'm really grateful that I've gotten to be as old as I am. To, you, you really can eventually, when you see this intergenerational trauma, a lot of compassion can arise for those prior generations. So one can even sort of pray for the generations of the past and the generations of the future. And all of that, all of that is really predicated on praying for your own healing. So I like to say nobody gets left out. There is so much there. That was so beautiful and beautifully said. And I know it's just interesting because I feel that right now, she's coming through for this reason. Not that she wasn't coming through before, but it's so, so prevalent and it's so intense in how it's helping us to receive love. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting, like you said, you know, once I started doing these practices and connecting with the divine mother, it helped me heal the part of me that didn't feel mothered. And, and in turn, I could have compassion for my own mother. And That's not an easy feat, to be perfectly honest. Like, I, I know. If you would have told me five years ago that I would be able to like say that, it just wouldn't even compute. And that's why we need this practice. We need this energy and how, how dormant it was for thousands of years. And, and now instead of you know, lamenting and putting more hatred on it and what happened, now we get to heal it from this place and to heal it from a place of compassion rather than, you know, more vitriol. That's what I kind of get out of the book, out of the practices, out of Buddhism in general. It's like, how can I be there for myself, placate this wound with this type of energy so that I no longer add to it? And in not adding to it, I actually heal more people by embodying this energy, this wisdom, like you said. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I do want to say, these times right now, are unbelievably difficult. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things that, wow, I just remember this is, I think, I really do think this is a true story. I don't think this is an urban legend that one of the Tibetan lamas, Geshe's teachers, who had been captured by the Chinese and tortured for a very long time, and he finally was either released or he escaped and was able to get to Dharamsala, to the Tibetan settlement in India, 
I don't know if it was his holiness that asked him or if it was somebody else who asked him, you know, what was his greatest fear when he was enduring all that? And he said, my greatest fear is that I would come to hate my tortures. And I actually, that makes me want to cry every time I think about it because I really understand that. It's like Mm -hmm. hate, you know, the sensations of hate in the body, in the heart, in the throat (laughs) um, are so toxic. And it's not that, this is one of the reasons I like the wrathful Taurus. It's not that we should condemn ourselves if feelings of hatred arise or rage or anger because some of this stuff can be hard to be human and not be just enraged. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if we don't have a way to work with that, starting with having compassion for ourselves for having it to begin with, and that our goal in the practice with that is to just let that stuff dissolve so that it does not remain sort of a toxic energy in the body. I think it's really important to imagine I have a practice that I can use for that. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be a tar practice. I mean, people who are deeply connected to nature can go outside and, you know, you can almost imagine releasing all that stuff into the center of the earth and asking the trees to send back love. There, you know, there are lots of ways of working with it. But I think right now, it's really important that we feel like there's a a loving energy, a a vast, huge, powerful energy that can contain everything, including whatever arises inside of us as a result of what we either experience directly or what we experience vicariously when we're watching the news or whatever. So, yeah, it's just such an important time to continuously go back during the day to something that it's almost like I can see myself putting my hand on my heart, saying, they're there, they're there, it's okay. Um, these are really tough times, just scary, scary, difficult times. And it's also true, we need all hands on deck because we can't let this continue. So, mm-hmm. And I think you've written something that is so, so helpful and so, so powerful. I mean, I, I bought it right when this happened and And it has been such a touchstone, such a cornerstone for me and feeling less alone and trusting that this is all part of the plan. And I can't thank you enough for for showing up for doing this work. And and I know it's going to be okay. It's just the chaos as she wakes up. You know, it's kind of how I've been, how I've been looking Mm. at it. (laughs) Well, you know, I may have told you this when we talked before, but, and this is also in the book, but I'm definitely a devotee of Mother Mira and amazing because when you sit with her, it's always in silence. So you want to talk about spaciousness and stillness. It's amazing. And prior to the pandemic, you know, she was traveling. So she gives Darshan in silence. It's just, I really encourage people to have a look at her website because she's live streaming herself every day at one o'clock Eastern time. Anyway, but you know, when she was coming to America, she would do a tour and I'm I was one of the people in charge of the Triangle Area Darshan group. I shouldn't say in charge. We were all in charge of each other. But anyway, we got word that there was another group of people in some other city, and they were just getting all freaked out because there's so many details to put on an event like that. And Mother just stopped and said to them, look, it's all going to be okay. And even if it's not okay, it's still okay. 
And that's what I'm kind of hanging on to because it's like there are really moments now where it's just not okay. Mm -hmm. And there are also moments when I feel like, well, I'm not okay. I'm not doing enough or blah, 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 you know. (laughs) But I come back to that. Even if it's not okay, it's still okay. And And I think that's a real paradox. So, you know, you sort of have to sit with it to see. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody has to sit with it, see what it means to them. But oh, I think it is true. I love that. And I know it's just, it's nice to be able to zoom out, you know, and that's what these types of practices, yeah. this type of ideology helps us do. And I keep hearing people say like, this is why we incarnated at this time. And at the beginning I was like, cool. Yeah. Like I'm ready. And now I'm like, can I be done? <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> what was I thinking? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like big deal. I don't care. Going to be easier, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, yes. That's but, what I call honest. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. And what I'm saying to people often now, I'm saying like, if you're not upset right now, you're just not even awake. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But exactly. we can't be upset all the time, so we just have to have. Like, really, literally, we have to have places of refuge. Mm-hmm. We have to have them. And in the book, you talked a lot about that. It's taking refuge in Tara. And I love that terminology. I love that idea. And when I do the meditation, when I take refuge, I feel my body just relax. Like oh, I've wow. completely surrendered. And it's just a wonderful thing to have in your toolkit. And um, well, switching gears for our final question here, I just wanted to ask you, or a second to last question, I wanted to ask you about a time in your life where it was, you know, a darker, a darker time, a darker night of the soul, that anything you feel called to share helped illuminate the path, helped, you know, eventually bring you towards what you felt called to do on this earth and anything that you feel called to share about that darker side of the moon in your life. (laughs) Well, you know, I was thinking about that earlier and I, I have two things to say about that. I think that an incredibly difficult time in my life was when I was 13 and my brother died of leukemia and he was 16 and he was in a hospital 300 miles away from where my parents had left me at home. So I wasn't with them. I wasn't with him in in terms of really feeling alone, you know, uh, it was pretty stunning. And at the time, you know, a 13 year old can't, really be completely present for something like that. You can't really stay sane and, you know, really know what you're experiencing. So at that age, and of course, I didn't even know anything about the dark night. So I couldn't have talked about it in that way. And what I've found throughout my life is certain things happen. And sometimes they're just funny little things that aren't, aren't so significant. And sometimes they're bigger things. But sometimes something will trigger that sense of being completely alone. And that it is really true because <laughs> I've even talked to my parents about it. There really was literally nobody thinking about me at that moment. So what has happened over many years is that things will resurface because of current event. And those feelings will come about. So I think at some point, sort of like you, Paige, because I've been a therapist for 40 years now as a psychologist. I still am. Before I went into the Jungian world, at some point I really realized just talking about this psychologically, these 
trigger events and the, these feelings was not going to get me anywhere. And I had to go bigger, so to speak. So I think that that's been like a core motivator probably of my whole life. I think confronting death at the age of 13 with no, not enough <laughs> religious thought or, or intellect to even begin to process it set something in motion for me, including the kind of interfaith path where I was looking to see how do different people look at that. And, you know, I'll say again, like encountering the Tara practices was a way of having an energetic practice, a way of connecting across realms, more or less, across different layers and levels of energy that allows me to sometimes go into those old feelings in different ways, in deeper ways. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I think that when I was thinking about this question earlier, I thought, it's just that it comes back, you know, it cycles through. It's not like, oh, there's one dark time and I did this and therefore, you know, it really does cycle through. It can cycle through in in the morning and be gone by the afternoon, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think had I not done the things that I've done, studied the different things I studied and had some incredible teachers, I mean, just amazing teachers. This Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, blessed be he, and my teacher, Lodra Rinpoche and Mother Mira and others, some of my analysts. When I think of those people who helped me along the way at various points, I really do think of love when I think of them. I mean, yeah, there's a whole lot of intellectual stuff and all kinds of stuff and on and on and on. But the sense of love is the thing that really comes through. So, you know, when it happens now, because it could happen two hours from now, who knows, you know, (laughs) I just like to have places of refuge, you know. And I think I was talking to somebody yesterday who's also a therapist and doing all this kind of good work. She's like, it just keeps on happening, does <laughs> And I said, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's the good news and the bad news, you know. I don't know. Maybe there's something if you get enlightened, but I'm not enlightened. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep going through with the cycles and calling on Tara and <laughs> Mother. And yeah. Jesus was a pretty cool dude, so. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. and. And you're right. I mean, I even had that yesterday. I was like, you know, we are, we are in spirals. Like we go up and we go down and exactly. And and that's okay. And somebody had explained it to me once because I was all upset. I was like, Oh, I thought I had gotten over this type of anxiety. (laughs) They were like, right. And she, so she said, you know, it's like rungs on a tree trunk. So we'll Uh, on something here and then we'll get through it. We'll come upon it from a different angle and it helps us look at these wounds that we came here this lifetime to heal in a different way. And that's what, you know, these practices and this type of connection can do for people. And it's so important because that's why we're here. You know, that's why we're here is to heal these things. And even when it gets super dark, it's like, this is part of the plan. This is, you know, what we came here to move through, you know, just sometimes it's like, no, thanks. (laughs) Well, it can be stunningly difficult sometimes. You know, in the trauma world, there's the fight, flight, freeze business. And usually, for me, where the really difficult stuff comes is in the freeze. 
because you just can't feel much and you can't sense, right, how to get out of it. But one of the things that I have really learned, Paige, and it's like what you keep talking about is, well, every time I go in one of those deep dives or I feel like I get sucked under, <laughs> like it, um, if I just stay with it and if I just say, okay, all right, you know, you're going to pop out down at the end of the river. And by the time you pop out, you will have learned something. And that is true every single time. And literally, I cannot tell you how many times the very next day, literally, the thing that occurred to me differently, just like what you said, than it ever had before, was something I could use in a conversation with somebody else literally the next day. So I don't think of myself as being particularly noble in any way because of that, you know, oh, I can be so helpful. But it is true that that's the, you know, that's the ultimate almost payoff or the ultimate feeling of, yeah, it is our suffering that connects us to each other. And if there's something I learned that I can pass on to somebody else that frees them of something, even if it's just in that moment, then, well, that's like one of those sparks getting elevated. That's a piece of the repair, you know? Oh, that was so, so beautiful and so well said. And I love listening to you speak. I love reading what you write. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for being you. Thank you for doing the work that you are in the world. Last question, where can people find you? Your website or the tarot cards, all those things. You know, I think the best point is the website. It's real simple. It's just rachelwootenauthor.com. We did just get the tarot cards printed and uh, it seems like a lot of people are buying them quickly today, but we'll be printing more today. So whether it's finding a place to buy the book or, you know, to buy the cards, you really can only get them from the website. And there is a, you know, a little window that you can sign up to in my newsletter. So if I'm going to be teaching somewhere or writing something else, you know, you'll be on that newsletter. So I think that's the best thing to do. Yeah, because that's how we can be in touch. And there's a contact form there. And I can't, you know, don't answer everything. But people also don't ask me to answer everything. But, you know, when I can, I will and I do. So that's a good way. Yeah. And I'll put all of those in the show notes. So I'll put where you can find the book and her website and everything in the show notes. So you can just go click that and get more info, get all that you need. And this was wonderful. Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. Thank you for everybody who's listening. Thank you for doing or listening and sharing, subscribing. As always, send this to anybody who needs this message or who could benefit from this type of practice. So thank you again, Rachel. This was awesome. Yeah, you're welcome, Paige. And I just want to say thank you for the work you're doing because I think it's wonderful. And and as a person (laughs) quite a bit older than you, I'm so happy I'm so happy to see you doing this work because you're going to reach the younger women. And that is fabulous. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. And I will see you next time. All right. 